Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And as always, the off-season, never quiet. There's always something to talk about. Um, since we last recorded last Wednesday, uh, believe it or not, it's been a week. Jim Harbaugh leaving for the Chargers. Sharon Moore, his replacement. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, we had some developments on the NIL, NCA collective front on Tuesday, Bruce. Um, it emerged that Tennessee has been under investigation um, for the activities of its collective, Spire, dating back to that period in early 2022 when we here at The Athletic reported a lot about Spire. This was kind of the early, early NIL collective days and people didn't know much about them. And David Ubbin wrote a story talking to the guys at Tennessee's collective Spire that was kind of jaw-dropping at the time. It was the first, I mean, these guys were openly acknowledging that they were participating in recruiting and spending a lot of money in recruiting. And then, of course, then came the the Nico deal, which is, you know, Spire publicly acknowledged for the first time yesterday. Um, I reported on that one in March of 2022. And, you know, what was a, seen as a staggering $8 million NIL contract. Well, I don't know why it took two years, but the NCA is now interested in these things that seemed pretty obviously at the time to be against pay-for-play rules. But Tennessee is not going to just sit there and take it. Their chancellor wrote a pretty fiery email to uh, NCA president Charlie Baker calling the um, guidance around these issues that they put out back then on clear, um, insisting that everybody operated within the rules that were established at that time. A lot of insinuations that basically, hey, you never said that, you know, back then you never said that these groups couldn't emerge and participate in recruiting and they were just operating under the guidance you had at the time. And sure enough, 24 hours later, maybe less than 24 hours later, we have a lawsuit. We have yet another antitrust lawsuit against the NCA by the states of Tennessee and Virginia, basically seeking to lift NIL uh, restrictions about you know, giving recruits or portal kids NIL money entirely. I'll just read one quick passage here. Um, the NCA is thumbing its nose at the law. After allowing NIL licensing to emerge nationwide, the NCA is trying to stop that market from functioning. This month, it announced new proposals related to student-athlete protections in NIL. These protections allow current athletes to pursue NIL compensation, but it bans prospective college athletes from discussing potential NIL opportunities before they actually enroll. It's like a coach looking for a new job and freely talking to many different schools but being unable to negotiate salary until after he's picked one. All right, that's a lot to unpack. Um, you've talked to people. I've talked to people. What's going on? Okay, so let's start with this. We are, going, we are about to get a flurry of lawsuits. There's been some. There will be more. I would expect before the end of the week, perhaps, um, that you'll have another lawsuit that may, that could end up in in uh, state court as opposed to federal court, which may increase the likelihood of that getting a temporary restraining order and going forward. I don't think that will be the last one either. I think that what this comes back to, to me, and I, I would assume a lot of people will agree with this, is that the NCA has been operating under a model that 
was no longer sustainable as it was going to operate with once you had agents and collectives involved, whether they were looking as, and I'm curious where this upshot is. I've asked people about this and they weren't sure of the answer, but ultimately as will the NCA has tried to maintain that boosters cannot be involved in this process, even though boosters have definitely been, as they define it, has definitely been involved in the process. And that, it, you know, like that is going to be hard for them to uphold at this point. And also um, the NCA in how, for, maybe take a step back. The NCA does not have like true inve investigative um, arm in, in terms of like even how they do their business of the stuff they request and how they request it. It just, it's not the same thing as what you would, what I think you'd get in something that's outside the NCA. So it kind of bogs down the process and it often ends up for them shooting themselves in the foot. And up till now they were their own or up till recently, they were their own, um, you know, judge jury situation. Well, now when it's gotten outside of their power and it's gone up into like real courts and real justice system, they're going to be losing. And they're, you know, that's a, that's a bad place for them to be. And I think, you know, they got, so like from what's been reported and the New York times, I think first reported this about one of the issues that the NCA had was a private plane that Nico uh, took when he was a recruit and it's actually I think, believe it's two airplane flights um, but what is I think Pri private jet flights specifically yes now I don't know if that really has a, a you know it's a more expensive flight I'm not sure it's any different than that of providing planes um, but it's also the question is if Nico had already had an agreement signed and he was a client at that point um, and the NCA would have had the paperwork for those flights, which I, my understanding is the NCA already had the paperwork for that. Um, then if he's there going to Tennessee, not as a recruit, and here's where the distinction is, not, not per se as a recruit, but that he was in Knoxville on those trips to explore marketing opportunities, which is part of that contract. That's where I think it's really problematic for the NCA's case on that. Does that make sense? It makes sense, um, especially since I saw the contract, which is really more like a the contract spire, unlike some of these other collectives, pre predated NIL. Those guys were sports agents who represented athletes. And that contract reads like a, I have new I have new kittens, by the way. You might be hearing them. I don't hear. Uh, you. Don't worry about your kittens. <laughs> uh I, um, the, the that contract reads more like a talent representation contract where they are buying Nico's NIL rights for a specific period of time, that time being before he becomes an NFL player. And, and, and then they have the rights to turn around and sell the, you know, get him marketing deals. It is not as they, you know, said in their statement, they, you know, specifically all know what the intent was like common sense. But in terms of the contract itself, there's no mention of Tennessee. There's no mention that he has to play football in Tennessee. For a second. Yeah. I think people logically will infer from this and go, okay, this is a Tennessee thing. If Nico gets hurt 
where if Nico decides, hey, I don't like it here, or I, or he gets beaten out or doesn't play well, then all of a sudden, you know. They'll find a way out of the contract. Yeah, because look, the the crazy thing about this, and I was just thinking about this, you know, as I'm sitting here watching the senior bowl practices where every quarterback out there pretty much is a transfer. It's Sam Hartman, it's Michael Penix, it's Bo Nix. And the point of it is, in this day and age, almost nobody stays at the school they signed at, right? The Heisman winner, Jaden Daniels, obviously started at Arizona State, didn't end up there. So the likelihood is probably pretty good that that these guys who were at least in high school who signed these contracts probably ain't staying there. So the then the quest, but that the the point I'm bringing up, and the point that like, you know, again, this is something, and you and I have discussed discussed this offline. Like Nico's agent, the contract he showed to other people for other clients, he or prospective clients. Some of those schools were like, yeah, we don't buy this. We're not. We don't think this is gonna work. And so I think some of these things that go into it are it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fascinating to see once this once a lot of this stuff starts coming out, how this lines up. Because even the model it is now, you and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast. I mean, what's different now is than it was two years ago, schools aren't spending a, a ton of money on high school recruits it's for transfers and so um you know now i think we're in a different place but again the ncaa is is seems to be stuck into where they were and they're you know they they've amended certain or tried to amend proposals just recently within the last month and to me that is like and i assume like you know a, a judge will find this the same way that that puts them in a, uh, you know, a, in a not a good position because if you're amending something in into that, then clearly some, you know, it wasn't written the way you wanted it to be. I mean, at the time that of the Nico deal and and Spire bragging about how much money they were spending, all of us were like, how can they say this stuff out loud? Like all of history of college football history that we've at least lived through. It was like a, a well-known thing. Boosters can't pay recruits. Boosters can't be involved in recruiting. You can't, they can't contact recruits. They can't try to sell them on coming to a school. And this sure seemed like that, right? But even, the, was, but even the NCAA and the conferences, like go back, I think it's almost two years. Like I remember the conference meetings where, the Big Ten, the the Pac-12, the ACC, the Big 12, a bunch of other leagues are all in Scottsdale, Arizona for their meetings. Now, the SEC was, is not one of those, and the ACC is not one of those, but the AFCA was also there. And at that point, I remember there was a Pac-12 meeting with the coaches and the, um, the commissioner and the ADs where they talked about um, – Agent, you know, like boosters are not, you know, boosters are still boosters. They can't be involved in the process. And I believe the NCA also kind of revamp, you know, I don't know, reaffirmed something along those lines. That's the key point in Tennessee's case, at least based on what we're seeing, what we read in her letter. We don't actually have a notice of allegations or, you know, the specific things that they're you know, being accused of. What's that? The draft, yeah. But here's the here's what they're basically hanging their argument on. When, when NIL first went into effect on July 1st, 2021, 
the NCA, and this was what, nine days or so after the, you know, the Supreme Court decision that was just like a thorough rebuke of their amateurism rules in general. They just put out this bare bones interim policy, they called it, though I don't know if they've ever come up with a permanent policy. It was very bare bones. And there was just a thing that said, you know, it can't be used for pay for play. It didn't specifically mention boosters. It didn't mention collectives because collectives didn't exist yet. And so the chancellor's whole, you know, technicality, I guess you would say, is the time you're talking about, early May of 2022, they put out the, the, the like, what do you want to call it? A reminder, guidance, clarification, where for the first time they did come out and explicitly say, hey, guys, collectives are boosters. They have to follow the same rules as boosters. Like, stop, stop doing these things. And of course, Tennessee is saying, well, we didn't know that. <laughs> you, you, this was very confusing. You didn't say that. We were operating, or not we, they, the collective, was operating under the guidelines that you had put out that didn't mention anything about this. And the stuff that they're being investigated for happened before you put out that, you know, clarification about boosters. Um, it's all it's all been lining up all this time for lawyers. Like when I would ask people back in 2022, as collectives were just sprouting up everywhere and blatantly being part of recruiting, why is nobody operating under any fear of the NCA? And the reason was it's an antitrust suit waiting to happen. As soon as they try to bust one of these schools for this, that school or that school's collective will turn around and file a lawsuit. And you know, before we can even get to the collective suing, we have attorney generals getting in the way. Obviously, you know, all of these things that have always been just, you know, the backbone of the NCA model, right? One by one, they're being stripped away by the courts. You couldn't for, for you know, forever time, you couldn't, athletes couldn't make NIL money. That would be, uh, you know, that's an, in fact, they would be ineligible. Well, the court said you can't restrict them for making NIL money. Then Austin was about educational expenses. Well, you can't restrict them. So now everybody gets a $4,000, what's called an Austin payment. And then, you know, transfer rules, right? For the for, for all of time, if you wanted to transfer, you got to sit out a year. The NCAA finally makes this one-time exception. Some states turn around and sue and get a temporary restraining order. And right now you can transfer as many times as you want. And so now this is the next one in line, right? The The... Those two states are saying by by specifying that uh, that recruits in particular cannot make NIL deals. First of all, they can't make NIL deals with the schools because that's the NCA rule, you know, specifically forbids that. Now you're saying they can't make deals with the boosters. Well, guess what? You're suppressing their their ability to earn money. That's an antitrust violation. Whether a court will agree with that, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, um, time will tell. Let's, but let's, basically, the NCA yeah, right now is just totally hamstrung in enforcing anything. On the whether a court will agree, like this is something that I, I would just—it's maybe obvious to a lot of people, but when these things now go in front of, like, especially if it goes in front of a state judge, or even when it gets and then event for a TRO, and then eventually it gets to a jury man it's going to be hard for the ncaa to win the ncaa is not popular like i suspect that the one thing a lot of people agree on can agree on in their states is about their college football teams 
and nothing probably unite unified a lot of people on different sides of the aisle than Tennessee pushing back on the NCA as the NCA was was about to cause you know their football program you know trouble and keep in mind obviously I don't know if we address this but like the timing of this from the from the NCA side of it is the NCA just hammered Tennessee you know in July or whatever it was like whatever it's five months ago so the fact that this would be coming back up and they would back in the crosshairs it's not like this is another school this is a school that just got hit really hard now the chancellor pointed out like hey hey we were very cooperative you know throughout this process previously now i think it wouldn't take much of a cynic to go yeah because your coach was bombing miserably you know if dan <laughs> lanning was your coach or kirby smart was your coach do you really give him up like that? But, you know, like that's speculative, right? I don't know how the a judge would say, oh yeah, like you you acted this way, but that's because we all know that's because your coach, you know, your coach was 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 just failing miserably. And also that case involved they caught coaches, right? They caught coaches being involved in the in these recruiting violations. That's still, you know, obviously an NCAA rules violation. What what makes the Tennessee case unique? Now, again, we don't have the notice of allegations, but according to the chancellor, none of their not that the NCAA is not accusing anybody on their staff of breaking the rules. They're accusing this third party collective, you know, here on the so outside of the university. Let's do though. I think has always been, oh, you're going to spend X amount of money for to go put it for a player that the coaches don't know or don't you know aren't valuing that that's always been a really shady disconnect to operate oh, i agree i agree and if they were to if they have a text message from josh heupel to the collective guy saying give nico i don't think it has to be even josh heupel it has to be i think anybody yeah, anybody then yeah then that's a you're not going to be able to avoid that but if they don't have that and if they're basically if this case is basically about um, a bunch of Tennessee boosters, and I'm referring to the collective, flew a recruit on a private jet, um, that's not as obvious. That's not as cut and dried. And that's what, you know, that's what they're uh, fighting back against. All of this, Bruce, dates back to that Supreme Court decision. And the actual decision itself was pretty narrow. Like it had to do with a specific type of educational expense. So it wasn't like, because they lost that case, the whole enterprise was going to go bankrupt. Is really the concurring opinion by Brett Kavanaugh, just a blistering opinion that basically said, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, hey, you guys should, hey, lawyers of America, you should come with more lawsuits against the NCAA because everything they're doing is illegal. Here's an actual quote. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. And since that day, I believe this is the fifth major antitrust lawsuit brought against them. One's about that the athlete should be classified as about his employees. One's about back pay for NIL. You got the transfer one. And now we've got this one saying, you can't, suppress recruits ability to make money from boosters if there's a market for their services 
then they need to be allowed to do that or you're in violation of antitrust law. Can I ask you um, this, uh, uh, like from a, you know an opinion standpoint, and it's a circling back on something we just talked about. So you said if there is some kind of text message or some kind of link to the Tennessee coaching staff through the collective about any one of the hundred or so, it could be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be because I think these aren't just football players or there's athletes in other sports as well. Um, like, let's just say going forward, to me, that's the way the, the model might as well just operate then. May as well, like, drop the, like, the, the facade of, like, coaches not knowing who's involved or not being involved or what they're getting paid or who's paying them. How do you yeah. feel about that? Well, I mean, the whole model is dumb. <laughs> the NCA put this was so, you know, many, many, much of the NCA membership was adamantly opposed to NIL becoming a thing well past the point where states, because this came, this came to be ultimately because states forced them into it because states were making laws that permitted this. They still didn't want this to happen. And so, okay, reluctantly, you know, hands tied behind her, but we're going to allow it. But the schools can't be involved in it. If their athletes want to go make endorsement money from a third party, have at it. But schools, you can't be involved. And that opened the door for these collectives. There it is, right? This is, this is to me, the crux of why the NCA ended up in a real, like, was not proactive enough and ended up in this really stupid box that Correct. they're... Like, this is such a dumb era we're in, and I think it won't last very long. Where like the Alabama collective is begging fans to give them money so that they can turn around and give to the players, right? Like, like it's like a um, pledge drive. Why? Why is the fan responsible for a fan who already spends money on season tickets and parking and and who knows what else uh, to support their team? Now we need you to pay for the athletes to stay on our team or or to help bring transfers in because we're not allowed to. And so as tennis, so at the very same time, the NC investigators are trying to bust Tennessee for this thing. Charlie Baker himself, right, put out this proposal in December. What got more of the focus was his proposal to have a new division of college sports for the richest schools. But also in that was saying schools should be allowed to directly enter into NIL deals with their athletes. So if you bust Tennessee for this, you're busting them for something that your own president has already said should be allowed. Um, that's that's the era we're in. So they're, but, they're making it up as they're they're now trying to make it up as they go along with a with a business model that everybody but them is holding on to as being outdated, right? I get it. There's gonna be also problems that come if you said, okay, we're gonna just say we're going to drop the facade. Coaches are going to, you know, schools now have general managers, but their general managers not like in general manager sense like they are in the NFL. Um, but I definitely think that that feels like where they would be headed. Again, it's like it doesn't mean there's not going to be another can of worms that's going to be opened up. But I just think that the lack of transparency that is coming here because everybody is trying to operate around the obvious or not everybody but a lot of teams in the in the top and now what's what's nutty about all this is that you have schools and we're talking about some blue blood schools and it's more than one 
where the collectives hate each other. They yeah. have multiple, you know, people just assume, uh, you know, probably just assume that most schools have one collective and that's not the case. Some of them have two that are in direct. That are warring and people get caught in the middle of them. And I'm not saying that if the schools, you know, if the NCAA kind of modernizes this model, and I don't know if it comes down to as simple as starting with, okay, now these college athletes are going to have to be defined as employees. And that changes things in a profound way on a lot of levels too. But then all of a sudden, I think you, you're you looking at a different business model for them. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not a great thing. I don't know. Not None of this is simple. I mean, let's say we tomorrow the NCAA decided, hey, okay, schools, you you pay the athletes their NIL deals. Come up with your budget. You have a, you know, Ryan Day, you have a salary cap and you decide how you want to spend it. Um, then you have Title IX implications. You, you know, somebody's going to challenge that. You're going to give uh, Caleb Downs one point whatever million dollars, but you're not going to pay anything to your women's basketball players. Like that's its own conundrum, right? If you make the athletes employees, as many people think should happen and will happen, you know, Ohio State can afford to pay them, uh, Tennessee, Michigan, et cetera. But this would apply across the board. And you think um, you think Akron can afford to pay all however many hundreds of athletes they have minimum wage they don't have that kind of revenue so then they're going to end up cutting is that teams. ohio is that ohio state or michigan's problem absolutely not which is why i think we're heading toward what charlie baker suggests where they're in their own division that plays by their own rules okay Stu, back to the podcast in a second but now a word from our sponsor linkedin talent solutions when you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So Michigan, turning turning our attention real quick to Michigan. So not surprised Harbaugh left for the Chargers. And we're certainly not surprised Sharon Moore got the job. He was the logical guy. Um, but, you know, there's some easy comparisons here to when Oklahoma promoted Lincoln Riley, when Ohio State promoted Ryan Day. But one thing in those situations is those guys also inherited, for the most part, their predecessor's staffs. 
we're seeing in this case with Michigan that Jim Harbaugh is bringing some of the key guys with him to Los Angeles. Yeah. So Sharon Moore is going to have to build his own staff. How much might that impact their ability to kind of remain a national championship contender? I think that is a big piece of this. Now, the, the two differences, you know, whether it's you and I went through and you know wrote about this a couple of weeks ago of the guys who have either moved on to the NFL or retired and then left behind. Most of them did not come from leaving behind just after winning a national title, right? Like Bob Stoops had won a national title, but it had been a long time, you know, and Lincoln Riley, you know, put new energy back in. Ohio State had been a few years from winning a national title when Ryan Day took over from Urban Meyer. Um, what I think was significant in, in a lot of those cases, like, like the guy, if you talk to people inside the Michigan program, and I remember when, you know, we had, you know, reported this, the, you know, when Sharon Moore was about to get the job or when Jim, well, at least when Jim Harbaugh was leaving, was the expectation I was told from out of the Harbaugh camp was that, Ben Herbert, who is the guy inside the Michigan program, that's a strength and conditioning guy. He's credited as much as anybody there for helping set the culture with Harbaugh that he was leaving. And I think that was a gut punch there. Now they're promoting um, one of his top assistants who had learned under Herbert to be the strength coach at Michigan, uh, Jesse Minter, who did a really good job as a defensive coordinator and comes from that Ravens defensive tree. And that's very much in vogue in the NFL right now. And so with him expected to to join Jim with the Chargers, um, you took two big pieces away. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is let's just let's not include Marcus Freeman in this for now, but just say um, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, those guys, you know, still ran their offenses. I don't think, you know, Sharon Moore you know, whether he promotes Kirk Campbell, whether he, you know, whatever he decides to do in this direction as his offensive coordinator, I think it, I'm not saying it philosophically will change dramatically, but he will not be as involved, I don't think, as that before. And also as the offensive line coach, that is a big difference. So whether he promotes Grant Newsom, who's the tight ends coach, who people like, but he's still, a, you know, he's been the tight ends coach, I think, for a couple of years. You know, there's there's a lot of moving parts in this. And because they are coming off just winning a national title, there's still going to be a lot of talent there, especially on defense. But they are losing. A, it was a very seasoned team. And so they're losing a lot more than a lot of those teams probably did in terms of they're not losing quite as much as Washington did, but they're losing a lot. And so, um, you know, I, I think... Everybody loves Sharon more inside the program, but it's going to be a, interesting to see who ends up stepping into these bigger roles. Yeah, I think he's still the right. He was still the right hire, um, but like the idea, I would just caution people that the idea of continuity, right? Well, we just promote the OC, and we'll just there'll be continuity. Well, there'll be some continuity, but as soon as you start having to either promote guys to new roles or bring in guys from the outside on the staff, it's not. Exactly. Continuity. And then, like you said, they're already coaching. Whoever the coach was is going to have to deal with, especially in offense. Like they, they're still going to have some really good defensive players, guys who played a lot this past year or were starters. They're going to be kind of starting over on offense outside of Donovan Edwards. Whole new offensive line. Well, and obviously, 
Yeah, but most obviously, like they need a quarterback, and I, I would, I would have to assume that in the spring, they'll go get a, a portal QB because the guys they have are young, unproven, you know, not give you a lot of confidence that you're not going to have a drop off there. Let's get us some emails. As always, you can send your emails to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. I'm going to ask you this one, Bruce, from Chris Champion, because I think you're he's taking exception with comments that I think you made. Lifelong LSU fan season ticket holder ready to tell you that you are way off base to say that LSU will fire Brian Kelly if he doesn't win a national championship by year four. We realize the straits the program was when he took over with 40 or so scholarship players for the bowl game. And we see the progress, two 10-win seasons and a Heisman Trophy. We also see the recruiting ticking up and Kelly loading up with coaches from Louisiana. Welcome back, Corey Raymond, ahead of a loaded 25-26 high school class. Scott Woodward understands this. Why don't you, Bruce? Does Scott Woodward understand this? No, I don't think. I think you're kidding if you don't. If you think Scott Woodward's going to sit there and he's not, his team is not going to be winning a national title in a couple of years, maybe it's year five, but it's like he's not going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be, um, this is going to, recruiting, by the way, at LSU is always really good. You know, it's a matter of whether it's, and it's also you have to sign the guys at the end of the day. Whoever's going to be the coach there is going to recruit well. Um, I think, you know, I don't feel like last year was was an uptick year. Last year was like, the first year was a good year. The second year, I think, was a, was a disappointment year considering where it was. Jaden um, Daniels was really, you know, Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman was the saving grace of that season. Otherwise, I think you'd have to say, based on the expectations coming into the season, that they underperformed. If I told you this, then just take Scott Woodward out for two, for 10 seconds. The last three, no other place has this history that the last three head coaches all won national titles. They fired the guy who was one of them less than two years after he won a national title. And part and a big chunk of that time was coming out of a pandemic. You think they're going to be really patient for a guy who didn't win a national title, who's never won a national title, who's not one of them? I think uh, you're being very black and white. I mean, yes, that happened to Ed Ogeron, but the team fell, you know, fell to, to 500, right? If you're telling me over the next few years, if Brian Kelly has them in the playoff, they're a contender, the but they just don't finish the deal and win the whole thing. No. They're going to fire him. Yes. Getting in the, a two Oh my gosh. Stu, getting in a 12 team playoff is not getting in a 14 playoff. But, but what if you're getting in the 12 team playoff and reaching the semis? Like I just, I don't, I think if schools are going to start firing coaches, it's very hard to win a national championship. I realize LSU's last three coaches have done it. It's very hard, right? Georgia's not going anywhere. Ohio State, et cetera. Alabama like, just went somewhere. Yeah. And, and, so, you're, you know, so, that, you're sitting, so listen, let's think about this for a second. Nick Saban's no longer the head coach. Nick Saban had been the Thord and LSU side for a long, long time, right? There are going to be no excuses to now to not win a national title. I don't know that LSU is going to be particularly great this year. I did my an updated early top twenty-five. I still have them number twenty, and if they were to, if that was if they finish next season number twenty, I bet you they'll be better. They'll, than they'll start to be some heat, but you think they'll be better than that? I think. But keep better. in mind in twenty in the twenty twenty-five recruiting class already, Brian Kelly has gotten commitments from Bryce Underwood, the number one player quarterback, number one player in the whole class, um, DeCorian Moore, wide receiver, just, number five let, player in the whole class. Let me explain to you and to the the reader. The recruiting rankings 
matter less now than they did in the last 10 years. True, you know because the guys could transfer. Because guys transfer, it's like, who is on your team now? Like, I get why people get excited about it. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but it doesn't matter as much because how much did that greatest class in all of all time help Texas A&M? It didn't. All right, so let me just play this out real quick. Let's say, let's say, no, I agree. But let's, let's say next year, another nine and three kind of season for LSU. People are going to be ticked. But then in 2025, LSU, remember there's no divisions now. Um, LSU reaches the SEC championship game, but loses. They're 11 and two. Then they make the semifinals of the playoff, but lose. That's now four years without a national championship. And you think they fire him? I don't know. I think that might be the scenario that can give him another year. Because go 11 and two would be his best year then. To go 11 and two would be his best year. I don't know what to tell you, Chris. You did not convince Bruce. Um, I just know also, we also know how Scott Woodward is. Yeah, no, he's got a he's got a quick trigger. He also throws a lot of money at coaches, though. Co- throws a lot of money at them and then has to pay them not to work. Kyle Tobias. Hey, guys. Big fan of the pod with the extra COVID year and NIL return for an extra year at major schools. I'm curious if you guys think college football is currently experiencing its highest level of football ever. It seems like everywhere you look, there are guys even five years ago that have already left the sport like Cam Rising and Dylan Gabriel. I know this much, Bruce. I think this is an all-time peak of quarterback play. Like there's never been this many great quarterbacks in college at one time because of exactly what he's saying. Like pre-COVID year um, and NIL, Bo Nix and Michael Penix aren't playing college football last year. Well, probably, honestly, probably Jaden Daniels. What I think what was interesting about this is you had three guys who were the three biggest stars of our season last year who all um, rehabilitated themselves in one way or another. Like, if you had asked anybody at those schools when they left, any diehard fan, they would have been like, yeah, good luck. We're not going to miss them. And they all turned out to be um, iconic players those programs. Yeah, And you're right. I hadn't even thought of it. Jaden Daniels had already used his four years of eligibility, right? If not for the COVID year, he wouldn't have been back for a fifth season of college football. So and those are great. And to me, those are, those are great stories about college football. Like, I mean, Jaden Daniels improvement at LSU was spectacular, right? And they did some awesome stuff with him. And I think, um, you know, and obviously he's not the, you know, he's not far removed from when Joe Burrow went in there too, but it's like, I think what, that's one of the best things about recent college football. Again, I would put Joe Burrow in that group because it wasn't like when he left Ohio state, people liked him, but nobody thought he was going to be anywhere near as good as he was or as great as he was. And I think you take those other two quarterbacks, how they're, you know, you know, in Eugene, Oregon, or in the state of Oregon, in the state of Washington, those guys are going to be beloved forever. Um, and I think that's different because so much, you know, I, I always hated this, whereas like people get um, kind of defined maybe early on and it's like, oh, this person's, you know, they, it's like, I feel like people get damned by like how they get defined early on in their career. And it's like, oh, they can never improve or they can never get better or anything like that. And I think it's a disservice to the, to the athlete. Um, and 
that's, you know, to, to circle back to his question, I think that's why things are one of the reasons why it might be that way, because you have so many guys who have either reinvented themselves or evolved because of how the sport is set up now. And now with Ohio State, we've talked about this year, like they've got first round guys who are coming back. Like, I, I, I think he's right. I think probably the overall level of talent and experience has never been higher. Of course, the COVID year will phase out here soon. And that will change things. I want to mention this one from Ian McFarland real quick. A weird note of thanks for the influence the Ottawa has had on my family. Um, both of his daughters started throwing up at 2.30 in the morning. Being children of the Tupperware generation, my wife and I are both trained. If you're throwing up as a kid, you always got to have a large plastic bowl at your side. Well, I asked my wife if there were any more puke bowls sitting around. And she responded, quote, about five years ago, you demanded that in our house we call them puke buckets and refused to hear arguments otherwise. The legacy of Mike Stoops and Arizona and all those stories about puke buckets around the weight room ended up showing up at Ian's house when his daughters were sick in the middle of the night. I know you got to run. We're going to do one shout out. Shout out. I think I'm going to loop, loop you in on this and not speak to you, speak for you. But shout out to a, a true legend in the SEC. And at yes. School, um, Claude Felton, who is one of the sweetest people. And it's hard not to look at a picture of him or see in something and go, oh, I can never imagine him yelling at anybody or or like berating somebody or whatever, just because I don't, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who has anything negative to say about him. Claude Felton has been an SID at Georgia since 1979. Um, you know, he, he was there for the Herschel years. He was there for the Mark Richt years. He's been there for the, you know, dynasty that's opened up under Kirby Smart. He is retiring effective, I believe today. He, when I was just young and starting out, he treated me like I was a 20-year vet. Um, just maybe the best that's ever done it. And we wish him uh, a very happy and healthy retirement. We'll see you guys next time.